When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul and AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. And today we're talking about season six, episode four, titled Hit and Run. Uh, Alexis, what do you think about this episode? First off, I would like to offer some congratulations to Ray Seahorn for her directorial debut. Mm. Debut. Debut? Debussy. Debut. <laughs> Debussy. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Uh-huh. And this episode gave us Jimmy Hamlin, so no matter what. <laughs> oh my god. No matter what, I have to I have to give it that. Jimmy doing Howard face? Is that even legal? Is that it's unethical at best. It's not an ethical joke at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was incredible. Um, I I was shocked to see how much Jimmy actually looked like Howard with just a little bit of hair and makeup. Yeah, he's a, he's a middle-aged white man playing another middle-aged white man. Is he a white man in this? <laughs> he's <laughs> got a, a lot question. of bronzer on. Did kind of, yeah, it went a little crazy with the it's, sunless tanner. It's significantly less white than normal. Uh, yeah. But yes, yeah, uh, that was pretty thrilling, pretty outstanding. I was also really happy to see all the characters from Breaking Bad that showed up in this episode. Such as? Such as Wendy. <laughs> yeah. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. And Spooge, who we were just talking uh-huh. about in the last episode. Were we? Oh, boy. We did. Yeah, I yeah. thought we mentioned dropping an ATM on somebody. It was Spooge. Yeah. Appropriately. Yeah. You got another? You got more? No, I, I think that's it, right? I hope that's it. I didn't actually list them. Yeah, my, pretty sure that's mine. it. Cool. Um, I thought this episode was good, but it's clearly set up, right? It's very it's, much set up. Like, without the the Howard Hamlin heist, uh, there wouldn't be much to talk about of, like, significant movement in this episode. We get to see, okay, Gus has, like, a super secret Batcave entrance to his house. Mm-hmm. Um He's very, very paranoid, even more so than we thought before. Uh, you get to see, you know, Jimmy Jimmy doing a little dance uh, around Howard here. And then you get to kind of see Kim, I don't know, also be, we're looking over his shoulder and worried, paranoid. And definitely at the end, at night, in a random strip mall, I would be looking over my shoulder too, even if I didn't know that Lala was on my butt. Yeah, but there's not a ton else happening in this episode right it's all just setting Not up really. it's mostly set stuff. up i do wonder if it might it may have served the pacing of this episode a little bit better if the fun jamie hamlin stuff had been more toward like the end of the episode maybe so yeah um, because once that was over they didn't really give us a lot of like fun stuff to sink our teeth into it was mostly set up and a little bit of character development and it wasn't like a huge reveal with gus right 
Like mm-hmm. Gus is paranoid. Okay. I mean, look at the links he went to with his laundromat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that bunker that he created underground. Of course. He's True. very he's, careful. He's, he's the underground man. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. Does everything <laughs> underground. Uh but yeah, that wasn't like a big reveal to be blown away by, right? So at least if you could have had some fun at the end of this episode, it might have been a little better uh feels coming out of it. But I don't know, maybe people were thrilled by seeing Gus, how like far he's willing to go for security's sake at this point. Also answers, I think, a couple of questions from ba- Breaking Bad in terms of Walt just showing up to Gus's house and how much of a joke we know that is now. Yeah. Showing sure. up with a gun like, like he was going to be able to do anything because <laughs> joke's on you, dumbass. He's surveilling his own house from across because, of course, he is. He's Gus. Yeah, I wonder how much of this carries over into Breaking Bad. Does he still go through all these motions if he's got, uh, after he takes out Juan Bolza, uh, mm-hmm. does he does he still look over his shoulder as much? It's um, a good question. It does seem like he maybe feels a little bit safer once we get into Breaking Bad territory. Yeah, I would think so. And I think the ending of this season will answer a lot of those questions for us. Totally. Uh, yeah, especially once Eladio is out of the way, he probably feels a lot more secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Do you want to say anything else about the episode or should we get it right into the recap? Nope. Let's do it. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we open on a bike riding couple cruising through an upper class neighborhood and arriving home where they appear to be Gus's neighbors. Yeah. Don't bother asking questions like what the fuck <laughs> uh, in these cold opens because we know they'll answer they'll answer by the end right mm-hmm. um of the episode I, I got a little thrown by last week's for sure uh yeah. we'll talk about that in the at the beginning of feedback but you know they they typically do this and by mm-hmm. the end you'll understand it so i'm not like too crazy i i felt like this didn't seem connected at all to anything um which is not always the case with these cold opens. Like I remember, you know, the ice cream cone with the ants, that was pretty obvious what that was about. Mm -hmm. Uh, All that kind of stuff. But yeah, this one was fine. I don't know. And I guess the explanation we get at the end is fine, but it's like a half explanation, right? It's like, okay, these are, this is what Gus is doing, but Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, what is he waiting for? Is he waiting for the Salamancas to make a move on him so that he can catch him? Is this like when he had Nacho out in the motel and had people surveilling, waiting for the assassins to come, right? That Yeah, that would be my assumption, but I don't really have, I don't have a mountain of evidence to support that. Yeah. I don't know. So we'll see. Uh, there's a big red house 
in this neighborhood, <laughs> which, you know, red is a, a scary color. Tomato red, fire engine red, very scary for this couple. Uh, well, the fact that the freaking episode is titled Hit and Run, every time I saw somebody in a car, mm-hmm. period, in this episode, I was waiting for them to hit somebody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or biking down the street. Right, yeah, I was super hit. worried for these this couple who's actually a couple <laughs> in real life. Oh, are they? Okay, yeah. cool. And that house, don't worry, there is no house, at least on that street, that's actually painted that color red. It's Good. digital. Yeah. Uh, I thought but- it was fine. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't I like know why color, people though. get so upset about other people's paint color choices. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. It's a color. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the I don't know. Red in Breaking Bad Universe is usually a pretty dangerous color. It's fair. And we know that like this is in Gus's neighborhood, so maybe this is like supposed to put us on high alert for Gus, which kind of works but doesn't work because we know Gus is fine in Breaking Bad mm-hmm. when we catch back up with him. So It's true. Is it going to be true. weird having two seasons of Breaking Bad without Gus at all? Just like going to this entirely different story and then coming back eventually to Gus? I think it suits the story the way they played it out. I think it'll be okay. Okay. I don't know. I, I feel like some people, if you're watching Better Call Saul first, might be like, well, where's Gus? I want to know more about his story because his story's obviously oh, yeah. not going to end right now and might get impatient with the first two seasons of Breaking Bad. Although... But they're so good. How yeah, there's nothing to be impatient Yeah, of. they stand on their own. I honestly, real talk, first watch of, first and only watch through of Breaking Bad, I got a little annoyed with the family stuff, with Walt and his family. I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is a family scene. Okay. <laughs> Can we move on? The talking pillow, you didn't like that stuff? All right. Mm, nope. All right. All right. Then we get the title sequence, and we... Afterward, cut to Howard arriving at his therapy session with some smooth jazz, like you do. And mid-session, Jimmy sneaks off with Howard's car. I love this when Howard pulls into the spot and gets out of his car and then turns around and locks his car. I have never done anything with as much intentionality in my entire life as Howard locks his car with. Like... The way he turns around, smiles at his car, presses the button at it. It takes him a good 10 seconds to lock this car. Yeah. Me, I would just be sticking my keys in my pocket, hitting the button and continue walking. Howard like takes a moment to savor it. And I don't know if this is his new namaste, like (laughs) mindfulness journey that he's been on. Yeah. But he seems like totally blissed out just locking his car remotely. (laughs) That is fair. I, I have to question that too, because that locking sound is so loud. And it was loud later on in the episode. I was very worried for Jimmy. But you could definitely, you could just be hitting that button and walking away from your car. You could uh-huh. tell that it was locked. Yeah. You're totally. right. I think it is a namaste thing. It must be. A namaste yeah. three. I mean, very mindful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Jimmy, boy, driving up, uh, taking Howard's car, I, I... Like I said, I'm just shocked how much they made him look like Howard, <laughs> especially from the back. Like you from the basically back, yeah. can't tell. Oh, I love, by the way, that such a fun cut. Howard beginning to describe this dream he had, and then you cut to Jimmy's back walking uh-huh. as though it is Howard, as though we we're picturing Howard's dream. And my first thought was, oh, cool, a dream <laughs> sequence. We never see that in this show. And then you see nope. the dangling remote and you're yeah. like, oh, wait. How would he know about that? And then the juicy reveal. (laughs) The juicy reveal. I mean, more disguised like Howard 
now than even when he pulled the billboard, the billboard stunt in back one. in season one. Yeah. Do you think he held on to that suit? Is that why he oh, still absolutely. has the suit? Have the you ha- seen have you seen that blue? man? He holds on to every suit. That's true. Every he suit he's ever clothes. bought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little <laughs> callback that he would already have that suit. <laughs> so good. I guess he must have just put <sighs> Do you think it was like the world's thinnest wig? Or was it some kind of powder or something that he spread through his hair? To give it that blonde salt and pepper effect. I assume uh, he could probably Because later just... in the episode, he's got normal hair again. Yeah. It must have been a wig. You're right. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Make wigs like that, huh? Cool. I guess so. Well, <laughs> the other thing that I was watching for this episode is when I saw Jimmy take his car, the first thing that happens when he turns it on is the smooth jazz starts playing and Jimmy's Mm -hmm. like, ugh, and turns it off. (laughs) Like, he better turn that back on because Howard might be, might remember that he left that on. But it turns out Howard is so not observant. Yeah, like he, his super mindfulness not observant, shit like right? <laughs> extends to locking his car but not like paying attention to where he parked and whether or not he's parked on yellow lines. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Insane. In the next scene we cut to Kim fidgeting while waiting for Cliff at a cafe where they end up talking business. I couldn't figure out why Kim was so shifty in her seat. On the first watch. On the second watch, I realized she... She's getting the perfect angle for comedically looking over her shoulder like, what? <laughs> yeah. Howard Hamlin? And making sure know. she doesn't obstruct Cliff's view of that, the car is yeah. like probably priority number one. Definitely. Scoot, scoot over a little bit so you can <laughs> see it. Uh, and I realized also that this is why they were so concerned about the April 18th date and not being able to get the plates in time and the mm-hmm. car. And so they had to steal Howard's car because they needed this car on the day that Cliff was going to be in town. Like yeah. he doesn't come to town very often. They do. And they had this lunch that. date. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it made a lot more sense in retrospect. That they were talking about the 18th and we don't have time. And Right. And then Cliff, bless him, he ends up dropping a little bit of an emotional bomb on Kim, which is that we learned that his, his son has drug problems. Yeah. Do you think they knew that was the case? Because Kim seems to know that's the case. She's I don't like, think they knew. I, I feel like her face fell a little bit when he huh. said that. Like, Maybe oh, so. man, drugs, well, and he's familiar with drugs. Crap. Yeah, they planted those drugs in Howard's locker. I wonder if they're... I just wonder, did they know that, and this would be kind of like a bugaboo for Cliff? Maybe. That's a good question. Because it does add a little extra spice onto that does anything else you want to say about this particular scene it's pretty short about wendy about wendy yeah isn't this the same scene or is this this is all kind of happening uh, at the same time yeah right? the scene the scenes are split uh, in an interesting way in this episode where a lot of the scenes take place in more than one location yeah so it's difficult to say what is actually the next scene, but I do have here. Jimmy shows up at Wendy's and picks her up in Howard's car, and they sit and wait for Kim's signal. Yeah, and this is a callback to to the root beers and everything. Like this <laughs> yes. is man, just let her have just let her have her freaking root beer. You're gonna be <laughs> right. sticking your boot in her butt in like 20 minutes. Just let her have a root beer. Maybe he didn't want it in his car after he kicked her out because she wasn't gonna have time to grab it. Maybe he's worried about spilling root beer in the car. Yeah, you spill that root beer, Howard's going to know. Game's over. No time to clean it up. You can't wipe root beer off of leather seats. Everybody knows that. (laughs) I don't know that. 
uh yeah or he just didn't want to have to deal with it right like he's gonna kick her out she's not gonna grab a root beer on the way out being kicked out the door (laughs) so he's gonna have a bottle he's gotta manage it's gonna be no annoying (laughs) he's talking about how they're short on time and it's taking him longer to tell her to not get a root beer and also to get out and physically grab her and then walk all the way around the car and get in the suit again like come on but i'm sure he had his reasons Mm -hmm. so we're gonna cut back to kim and cliff and they're having a chat when Jimmy Hamlin comes by and drops Wendy off. He comes flying in. He really like, Tires screeching, fast and furious, Tokyo drifting in there. It was trying to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Why Why would Howard drop a sex worker off just in the middle <laughs> of friggin' nowhere? I don't know. Is he coked out of his brain? Is that, was that what we're supposed to be understanding here? And, and it, I mean, Cliff has to bring this up, right? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's going to be the very next thing they talk about when they see each other. Yeah. And like, is he not going to know the time? Is How is Howard not just going to say, yeah, I was in therapy at that time? Is it just going to be his word against I guess, but his therapist could back him up. It's just a matter of like, I don't know. I don't know. Will Cliff believe him? And if you can mount enough uh, evidence on top of other pieces of evidence, right, mm-hmm. then eventually Cliff will just buy it. I guess so. I, I, there are so many just question marks hovering around this whole plan that they have because it does, just looking at it from the outside, just with the little bits of information that we have so far, it does seem a little sloppy compared to some of their other stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're working on a specific timeline in this particular instance. Mm-hmm. So they've got to get things done. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like I'm waiting for the counter move, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know why I'm expecting it, but I'm waiting for Howard to put up a fight. Because I've always just viewed Howard as a fairly smart guy and fairly observant and so when he sees all these bad things happening to him and he remembers that jimmy did this stuff before with bowling balls and and prostitutes and right how is he not same question that we had in previous episodes how is he not just immediately going to know that this is jimmy right and he can't prove it right i mean that's the thing that's the other part of this episode where jimmy is like walking through the the courthouse and everybody's giving him the cold shoulder Mm -hmm. and even bill and then bill tells him and there's knowing it. There's proving it, and there's knowing it. And I feel like Howard can't prove anything, but Howard knows. And Chuck, just like Chuck always knew, right? It's yeah. Everybody knows Jimmy. That's the story of his life. He's nobody can ever pin anything on him because he's better than that. But also, everybody knows he's a scum. Shady. He's a bottom feeder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know. I, Howard has got. I'm looking for Howard to fight back in some way. But I, I don't see the connective tissue there yet. Yeah, I don't even know what that looks like. I mean, you're talking about Howard fighting anything. Yeah, I mean, if he can't privatize be, and if evidence. If he can't be, like, and, good postured and crisp syllabled about it, then I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what his defense is. I don't either. But I'm hoping to see something from him. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, oh, God. Continuation of this scene. Jimmy is trying to put Howard's car back where he found it, but someone moved the cone. <laughs> Who does that? So he takes matters know. in his own hands. I thought at first this might be Ken Wins because it was uh, BMW. Mm. And that dude 
drives a BMW. Mm. Uh, but it's it's not. It's not the Kenwin's license plate. But yeah, and I, I thought, well, okay, what what would I do if I'm in this situation? <laughs> I might try and run into the closest like building and see if someone, you know, like calling in uh, a thing at, I don't know, a department store and saying, hey, could the owner of a mm-hmm. white Chevy Camaro come to the parking lot? Your right. car is being towed or whatever. I definitely, that's, yeah, I feel like that's more what I would do too. I definitely would not. <laughs> physically rip a sign out of its moorings because it only it. holds up if he's not observant right yeah. if he's not mindful of his yeah. surroundings because yeah i i don't know about you but i have never accidentally parked on a striped space before I and haven't. if i did i think i would notice immediately when i came out yeah uh back to my car but i don't know howard seems pretty oblivious here it's pretty shaky it's pretty shaky I do kind of love it, though. And I love <laughs> Jimmy reenacting it for Kim later. It's cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the bronzer that he's wearing to look like Howard is rubbing off on his cuffs and stuff, which I thought was a nice touch. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, when he's trying to nice. sign out, I noticed there was a little bit of bleed onto his shirt. <laughs> That's very good. Mm-hmm. Next, we are cutting back to Kim as she drops Wendy off with, the, with what Wendy says is an undercover cop nearby, who then follows Kim out of the parking lot. I wonder how she got into this particular scenario. Did she volunteer? Like, did she tell Cliff, oh, I'm going to go help this person uh, when they saw her thrown out in the street, volunteer to drive her back to her house or whatever? It's my assumption. It's like play the good Samaritan, which... Right ingratiates you to cliff even <laughs> further at the same time that you're tearing down howard yeah i did see some people being a little fussy that she gave wendy her business card but mm-hmm. like cliff already saw her driving her and dropping her yeah, off so i, like, I think cares? cliff knows yeah that he, yeah she took her back to wherever she wanted to go mm-hmm. uh, at least i'm not, that's my assumption it's my assumption too i could be wrong i don't know uh, speaking of Kim again, we are back with Kim and Jimmy at home, and they're talking about their day. Yep. This is you. You think we're wicked scene. That's yeah. like the biggest thing that sticks out to me in this scene. It's like, I think Jimmy does think a little bit like that. That, yeah, maybe what they're doing is not justified. Which is a bit silly, considering all the stuff that he's pulled before. But it says the the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Oh, mm-hmm. That was a good line. I remember back in the last season when they were like in their blanket fort or whatever in bed talking about doing this whole plan Mm -hmm. and he's like not sure about it um, because he's not sure that Howard deserves it and like they're determining you know what's what's evil versus good and yeah using their powers for that and Jimmy yeah doesn't really see what they're doing as justified I don't think I think you're probably right I do think that he has realized over time with Chuck's death and everything that Howard was not really the one who was against him the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's also, it seems like he has done the work to try to come to terms with a lot of this stuff. Uh, Howard has done the work Uh to come to terms with a lot of the stuff that's going on. Oh, I didn't even mention this. I forgot. In the therapy session earlier, we learned that Howard has a wife 
apparently, and that things right. are not going well. I don't know why I never pictured him having a wife. I just assumed I he was either. a bachelor. Yeah, but... I don't know why. Because he's so stiff, I guess, maybe. I guess, maybe because we see everybody else's relationships and yeah. they're talking about either ex-wives or girlfriends or we've whatever. literally never seen Howard outside of, outside of a work no. context. No, never. Wow. Mind-boggling. Yeah. It seems like, I mean... I guess we're going to have to get more into that if they're going to ruin his life. I guess the one time we <laughs> his did. His life and reputation. We did see it is, yeah, I mean, that adds a whole other dimension it to, does. to what's like, going on he's here. He's already, he has other stuff that he's been dealing with and then now this is going to be coming. Yeah. If his marriage is already on the rocks, yeah. it's going to be. Oh God, yeah. And then it comes out that he has a, a drug and sex worker problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It makes me wonder Ugh. why his wife wasn't uh, getting up in the middle of the night when bowling balls were raining on their house. Right. <laughs> and kind of looking out the window with him. Yeah. Maybe she sleeps with earplugs or something. Must. She's completely checked out of life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She doesn't want to talk about anything serious, apparently. Maybe uh, she doesn't want to hear anything serious either. The other line that I liked in this um, is when Jimmy's talking about like why she feels like there are people following her and mm-hmm. why she's feeling that way. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, the thing about the wicked flee when no man pursueth or whatever. Uh, but he says, really, the reason is you're feeling this way because you we got away with it mm-hmm. and you just feel like it's too good to be true. It's like I did something wrong. I should be punished for it <laughs> and I'm not being punished. What, when will I be punished? Sounds you know? like the voice of experience. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm sure he felt that years and years ago when he started pulling these scams. He's very familiar with that. And I, I think that that strikes me as very true also. Like anytime I pulled uh, pulled something off that I got away with that I didn't think I should be able to, mm-hmm. I always feel for a very long time and especially some like scams this big, I, I'd be like, the rest of my life just looking over my shoulder going, well, when is the other shoe going to drop? When yeah. am I going to get punished for this? What is worth that level of anxiety? Millions right, like dollars, you go rob maybe. a bank, you get a million bucks, but then the rest of your life you're spent just looking over your shoulder constantly, just forever. tense all the time. Yeah, you could never relax. What's What good is that? Gus, I mean, Gus lives a terrible life as far as I can tell. Yeah. A life of isolation and paranoia. I don't... Forever. <laughs> Why do is, that? He hasn't smiled a sincere smile for probably 10 years. Right? Yeah. I don't no know. No thanks. Seems hard, but I guess some people choose to do that way. Do it that way. Yes. So the next day, we follow Jimmy into the courthouse where everyone stonewalls him, including Sweaty Bill. Even Sweaty <laughs> Bill. He's I've never actually seen him sweat, but his, his demeanor oh, seems yeah. sweaty to me. Yeah, he's constantly damp from the neck down. <laughs> under damp that suit. and full of Fritos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got that. He's got that puppy feet breath, probably. Puppy feet breath. There's that Doritos. Yeah, there was a there was a thing, and maybe somebody else will remember this. You apparently don't. Nope. There was a thing a while back where I think it was actually Doritos. Doritos smell like puppy feet, is what people like to claim. Which I tells don't me think I've that. ever smelled puppy feet. For one, so I couldn't tell Not you. Not deliberately, no. It's like when people say something literally tastes like shit. I go, "How do you know? How do you know what puppy feet tastes like? What are you out there, tastes you perverts, like? <laughs> out there licking puppy feet? <laughs> Gross! You don't know. Ah, you don't know where those have been, but 
you can probably guess puppies yeah. are messy they step in their own poop all the time it's crazy <laughs> it's true anyway i really like at the end of this scene how we have this character who has been sort of a sort of a running joke for the better part of the series and he actually displays a little bit of like dignity it was really interesting yeah. to see yeah. it's just like this yeah like i mean when he tells you you're just wrong it's like that's as low as you get right <laughs> yeah in a in a stairwell with paint peeling and yeah yeah you've reached a low place his beanie babies didn't work that's sad he had to take off all his crap at security mm-hmm. that's annoying yeah and i mean all this points to the fact that the ada threw him under the bus right because mm-hmm. she's the one that put all this stuff together she's the one who approached kim and because kim didn't play play ball here she's ruining his reputation this this feels like a uh, reverse howard right like yeah or the howard being pulled on jimmy a little bit and little it's not bit, as yeah. like scammy and scummy mm-hmm. as what they're doing to howard but it's the same thing they're she's destroying his reputation she's definitely salted the earth yeah i don't think he will ever be treated the same in that courthouse no and i i mean it's all it's it's not as uh devious as what's happening to howard because jimmy did all this stuff right he deserves yeah no he he did he did he did do the crime yeah yeah so it is deserved but also a little sad to see him so isolated Mm mm-hmm I do think they did a really good job showing that isolation. Oh, totally. Yeah. And the next scene with him sitting at the uh, <laughs> t- lunch tables there and All by nobody's himself. sitting next to yeah. him. Him High offering a seat. Again. Yep. Clearing a seat for people. They walk past him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's okay because he's getting a lot of business. He's getting, he's getting money and that's what he cares about, right? Yeah. He thought. Yeah. Is, is this the first time he's used this bluetooth earpiece i don't know maybe maybe the audience is aware of this but uh this is something that he constantly had in breaking bad yep this is like a signature saw thing it's actually in my mind a signature ken wins thing as well um that dude Mm -hmm. which you know he's not in this episode but i feel like in spirit he's in this episode because <laughs> he's the kind of douchebag who would get out move a cone and park in somebody's spot yeah he's the same guy who uses this earpiece all the time and loudly to remind, in public might have to remind some of the people who ken wins is oh yeah so he's the guy that they scam at the bar uh yeah. and is he is he the guy that they get to buy a bunch of zafiro on yeho uh, or zafiro whatever uh like thousands of dollars worth I think it might be yeah i yeah. think it was that that scam it was basically just them getting free booze <laughs> yeah totally scamming him for free booze and he's also in breaking bad one of the yeah. uh he, that, that's where you're introduced to him if you watch them in order of release uh and he is at like a, a gas station being a real douchebag and walt's like having a bad day or something i think and mm-hmm. ends up blowing up his car <laughs> Yeah, and it's one of it's I that didn't BMW. That, but yeah, okay. Oh, that's juicy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, there's another Breaking Bad character in this episode. Third one. In spirit, yeah. In spirit. Uh huh. I mean, it's not actually his car. It's the same kind of car he drives. Oh, yeah. But he. But why I call him Ken Wins is because he literally has a license plate on it, a vanity plate that says Ken, Ken Wins. Wins. Yeah. 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 I remember. I remember. That was for the audience. That's why I asked. Okay. It 
wasn't. I don't remember who he was. <laughs> I gotta stop telling on myself. Yeah. Mm, next we see Kim again. Boy, I tell you what. Whenever you don't have Nacho around anymore, you can really spend time on Kim and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But we see Kim meeting with a client in her makeshift diner office. She notices a suspicious car around the corner and confronts them because she's Kim. Of course she does. She doesn't just let sleeping dogs lie. Yeah, and I like that about her. Mm-hmm. She goes out there and just gives them what for. <laughs> uh, makes them tuck their tail and run. I love it. I, and knowing later, you know, it's revealed that they are Gus's guys. Just knowing that she just officiated them away, basically. Yeah, they're. so I'm a little disappointed in Mike because they're kind of Mike's guys, right? Like yeah. Mike is the one who's in charge of security for Gus. He's I think saying he's like, disappointed in them too. hey, the guy I planted at your chicken restaurant, uh, I'll find a new one if he's not up to snuff. Mm-hmm. These guys get made like immediately by combination of Wendy and Kim. I feel like they're not up to snuff either. What are you doing, Mike? You can't find good help? Well, he does mention later on that he's stretched very thin because yeah. he has people all over town just watching specific areas just looking for lalo mm-hmm. where's lalo well, could have been a good opportunity to see the vet again that mm. might have been fun yeah but i don't could know they, nothing in, in this extra. episode feels wasted it just feels like it's all moving pieces into place it is it's a 45 minute episode it's a little shorter than okay. some of the other ones which yeah it felt shorter by the end whenever when the episode ended I was definitely left with a feeling like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess that was it. Yeah. But that's fine. It's fine sometimes. Oh, oh, and here. Here we are with Jimmy eating his very lonely courtyard lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants to sit with him. But then we follow him back to the nail salon where exactly one person wants Mrs. Nguyen's services. <laughs> right yeah i did notice there was one lady sitting there like in the hair dryer or whatever yeah getting her yep getting her nails did yeah hilarious ah and here here is where we see spooge just spooge not yep. mr spooge of course not <laughs> of no course not because that sounds insane right no one named spooge has ever wanted to be called mr <laughs> mr is my dad you can call yeah, me Spooge. But you can't call me Daddy. <laughs> mm, he looks Daddy like Spooge. he would probably like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, slash and Spooge, it looks like, because that other dude. Yeah. Looking like he stepped off the set of a Guns N' Roses video. It's pretty good. And everyone, everyone in the nail salon knows Jimmy as the guy who got Salamanca off. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how. So it's it's made its rounds at the the courthouse, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe like people over here, ADA talking in the hallway, over here Bill talking about it to yeah. whoever Bill hangs out with. Nobody talking <laughs> about it in the mirror <laughs> to himself. Yeah, I assume. Mm-hmm, definitely. And then yeah, they they start the word starts spreading, and yeah, he's getting, he's. Fine. This is the clientele, right? We always thought like, okay, the clientele is going to be the people he sold cell phones to. Yeah. I think there's still a little bit of that hanging around, but this is the real Saul Goodman clientele. Drug people. The people who, yeah, know him as the guy. Yep. The man, whatever he the man, calls him. The magic man. In the next scene, we are back with Miss Kim again. 
where she is approached by a familiar face. Mike and Kim meeting for the first time, although not really the first time, canonically, I guess, because she recognizes him from yeah. the parking. I was good. Garage? It is a garage, uh, right? Yeah, the lot, the garage. It, I think it's a garage. Um, yeah. Yeah, at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the significance of that is. Like, why is it important for us to know that she recognizes him? Maybe just so nobody's like, oh, come on, Kim. You ran in and out of the courthouse a million times and you don't recognize this very specific face? I suppose so. Yeah. Just to keep things consistent. Yeah. Might for the audience. Be kind of a knee jerk reactionary line. That makes sense. Uh, here's my question. Will they continue the Howard plan knowing that Mike is watching them? Like he said he doesn't care, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've Small obviously got beans. stuff going on. I don't care yeah. about that. I'm just watching you to make sure the person I work for is fine. I think the real question is now that Kim knows that Lalo's still alive. Yeah. How obviously she's still gonna put everything that she has into this plan because that's just the kind of person she is, but there's going to be that 10% of her rat brain that's like thinking about Lalo all the time and thinking about like where they are in different stages of their plan physically and how exposed they are to <laughs> someone like Lalo. Yeah, it's it's out of the frying pan into the fire. It's like Mike's absolving her, or not absolving her, but reassuring her, look, okay, these are my guys. They're not after you. They're right. just keeping an eye to, for protection for somebody no, else. No, way worse guys after you, Right, actually. right. Oh, but this other killer <laughs> that, that you've interacted with all the time, uh-huh. uh, yeah, he's still alive and he's pissed off. And But you're made of starter stuff, so you're right. going to be okay. Maybe don't tell Jimmy. Don't Which tell I, your husband. I agree with him there, especially right now. Too. Like I, yeah. He's already so shaky. And always, I mean, I don't know. Saul hardens up a little bit later on, I mm-hmm. think. Like when we're in Breaking Bad time, he's kind of harder than he is now. He's more used to all this shit. Yeah. yeah. But here, I definitely think Kim is the stronger of the two. She's definitely able to deal with more pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so to tell her, and I guess that explains why she doesn't eventually tell Jimmy in this episode, right? Right. Yeah, it seems like she agrees. Yeah. She's way better at compartmentalizing trauma, I think, than Jimmy is. Mm-hmm. Or, no, she's better at actually dealing with it, and Jimmy does compartmentalize. Yeah, he does, but he's also, but also bleeds through, right? I feel like yeah. if Kim were to compartmentalize, she would actually be effective at it, <laughs> whereas <laughs> Jimmy tries to, but then the cracks start happening and it yeah. all floods in. I, I heard that they originally wanted to do this scene outside of the diner, but the light just friggin' sucked. Hmm. The light sucked. It was noisy. So they ended up doing it inside instead. And it was a nice... I like the... That shot of Ray Seahorn at the... Of Kim at the counter. And then just the slide over. Like, you mm-hmm. hear his voice first. Yeah. And you slide over to Herman Trout. Yeah, it's a good shot. Good. It's a good She's shot. She's like... Who are you? Like, do I know you? <laughs> Excuse me? And you're going to tell me to sit down? <laughs> Listen, old man. <laughs> okay. Oh, and she does... She acknowledges that he is the guy from the desert that got oh, Jimmy home right. safe. Yeah. So you're you're the guy. You're the guy from the desert. Another guy. <laughs> and the guy from the parking lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next, we are going back to Gus's house 
where we get a grand tour that takes us through two houses via tunnel. That was cool. There's a lot of little <laughs> interesting set dressing things in this long shot that I really appreciated. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, so the first house is his real house, the one that he goes into. Mm-hmm. And the second house is like a base of operations. Across the um, street, yeah. Yeah, that's through through an underground tunnel. Um, he changes before he goes over there out of his work clothes into mm-hmm. his other work clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. He's like he's he's changing into casual clothes that are just exactly the same but different colors. Yeah, essentially. It's nice. We see the world's tiniest ankle gun. Hilarious. We also hmm. see the world's thinnest. Is not that is not a bulletproof vest. That's not Kevlar, my friends. I'm sorry. <sighs> that, Kevlar plates are bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, that might uh, it was, save it's you from small caliber from a distance shots yeah. from a distance. Yeah, something. And I, I guess, yeah, I don't it makes know. Sense. He can't wear it's anything bulkier, right? Yeah. So what's he gonna do? Where, like, <laughs> boy, have you put on weight, Gus? And I mean, watch. Looking at him here, you can tell he has between mm-hmm. Breaking Bad and now. But a little bit, yeah. But he, he's just got older. Square these days, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> got a life vest on under that. What's going on? Yeah, uh, boy. Also, this this tub situation. We got to talk about this tub situation in his basement. Why? <laughs> So we have these shelves, and each shelf is exactly big enough for one tub. Mm-hmm. This is, I guess, this is a man that just doesn't stack tubs. He doesn't believe in tub stacking. Yeah, why stack when you could just build a shelf? Because if you stack, you got to take a, sh- a tub down to get at another tub. Yeah, this is more efficient, and Gus is all about efficiency. I when you have exactly what. 12 tubs yeah sure i guess it makes sense to do it this way it just the pan over to that it visually speaking it looks insane (laughs) it looks insane to me i mean he kind of is i know if he ever gets a 13th tub he takes it out to the desert and shoots it and buries it in a hole (laughs) he distributes it evenly among all the other tubs yeah he can never have more than 12 tubs I, i don't know yeah this to me looks like heaven this this is the most organized you can possibly be. I love it. I'm I'm glad that you do. Still, it it looks like the basement of someone who is secretly hiding an underground tunnel to me. Don't look in our laundry room. <laughs> oh no! Oh, you've been busy. What are the other good little things in this scene? Oh, we yeah, we get to see that his house connects to the house that we saw in the very beginning of the episode right. with that couple. So there's more context there. Yeah, they're connecting the dots there a little bit. Um, I do wonder, you know, how this arrangement came to be. Does he go to his all of his neighbors and say, "Hey, I would like to"? It, it, why doesn't why doesn't he just have these people live somewhere else too? I guess I guess it's a good cover, right? He they come mm-hmm. in and everybody. It looks like they live there. Yeah. He must sleep there. Like that that's the thing. He's he's using their house as his house. They're roommates effectively. Mm-hmm. And his house is just empty and it's got cameras all over it. And they're waiting for someone to strike. Yeah. 
Is he is he actually staying in that house or is he staying in to. his house? I mean, what would be the point if he stayed in his own house? To make it look like he lives there, I guess. It looks like he lives there by him walking the front door every day and leaving yeah. through the front door every day, having his car there in the driveway. I think if he were to sleep there, it would defeat the purpose of this because they could just attack him during night. Like yeah. Lalo could, you know, sneak his way in. I guess that's fair. All the Salamanca goons could come in and get him. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how he built this tunnel with nobody, without anybody right? hearing it. There's there had to have been some blasting involved or it's something. Two words Werner Ziegler. Ziegler. <laughs> no, I don't think he had anything to do with it. But. And that raises the question, like, he clearly had this in place <laughs> before the Lalo stuff, right? Because you can't mm-hmm. just build a tunnel like this with full cement walls yeah. and, and and all the type of stuff that's going on here had to be something that was pre-planned mm-hmm. before Lalo, uh, before they realized Lalo was still alive. Yeah. Or before they, I mean, it must have been part of the plan, right? Like, they knew if they were to try to go after Lalo or Hector or anybody, they would need some facility like this. Mm-hmm. So they probably had it years ago. That's fair. I do think Gus has probably always been a little bit of a paranoid bastard. Yeah. And we see, I, I think this is the same house. I could be wrong. Um, I think this is the same house he's living in in Breaking Bad. Mm. Although I remember that being at like the junction of a T- yeah, Cro- but like a crossroad kind of thing. But a lot of people were saying that they recognized it like immediately as Gus's too. house. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it makes sense because I think I re- I recognize the kitchen of this place too as the place where he sat down and had a meal with Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh. So yeah, I, I don't know. He's not. He's clearly not as paranoid for good reason. I think in the Breaking Bad timeline. Yeah. Uh, so I do like wonder, he's... like, does this? arrangement persist is this something where he's always got these people on call mm-hmm. at a moment's notice to say hey there's uh we need to do that thing again <laughs> remember that thing <laughs> we did that one time let's do it again yeah i think you're probably right and the other thing about this um is he's talking with mike here about how mike is stretched thin and the guy he's got working at los Poyos is not up to los Poyos standards <laughs> uh and you know, Mike's saying, oh, maybe he's not alive, whatever. Nobody's found him yet. Gus is like, no, Paul Salamanca is alive. And then where is he? And this is the question of the episode. This is the question of the season so far. Where mm-hmm. is Lalo Salamanca? What is he up to? What is he doing? What has he found, if anything? What is he going to do with it? I still have no idea. Who's he going after? I don't know either. He He is Jaws. Yeah. He has Jaws, and I just keep hearing this very faint, it's, like way, I, way in it, the distance. He's not even showing his fin right now. Like I, <laughs> I know. He's not even, uh, it doesn't even look like he's ready to attack. Yeah, no, he, he just exists as a boogeyman in people's minds right now. Yeah, somewhere under the water. He attacked, and then he went underwater, and now mm-hmm. we're just waiting for him to resurface. It's, it's pretty scary, I think. Um, I've definitely been enjoying the tension there. Yeah. But it's also driving me crazy because I want to know. <laughs> it's driving me crazy too. I, ooh, I'm so, I'm very excited for the next episode. Yeah. Did, am I remembering this correctly that the title for the next episode is Black and Blue? 
Uh, I remember you mentioned something about that. It could be. Okay. It could be next episode. Uh, and I mistakenly watched a little bit of the next time on, so I think it is oh. going to be a pretty good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I actually didn't watch it this time for once. Yeah, I forgot to turn it off uh, right after the episode was over. So I'm getting I saw kind of it. annoyed by them because like three times now there's been a line in one of those that seems like it's one thing but it's actually one mm. other thing that completely makes sense in context and isn't interesting at all yeah <laughs> stop doing that like i get it but also stop it right and then our final scene we're with kim and jimmy later that night at his new potential office which we know is his new office yeah I recognize that strip mall shape immediately yeah, if I didn't recognize Gus's house, I certainly recognize this. Yeah. Uh, and I love how he claims, oh, it's just temporary. No, <laughs> no, you're going to be in this until you run off to Belize. <laughs> right. It's like Walt, Walt and Skyler buying that house and saying that it was temporary and they'd get something bigger. Right. When Walt yeah. Jr. is older. Nope, you did not. Uh, I, I was wondering, I was trying to gauge Kim's temperature through this scene because she's worried about, you know, Lalo. She's uh, worried about Jimmy. I think that this office, she doesn't really like it, right? She looks inside. It's dirty. It's smelly. It's small. It's (laughs) got a toilet in the middle of it. It's gutted completely. You're going to have to completely fill this thing. Yeah. That's going to be expensive. And then she, she pauses for a second after she says it's dirty and small. But it's close to the courthouse. It's close to these other places that you need as a, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. It's a little bit of placation there. Like I'm going along with your thing because right? you're going along with my thing. That's been just about every episode this season. And she's done this before to him in in previous office hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, told him like the office is fine. The office is good. Uh, but didn't want to join with him. Now she's joined with him in the office. She's just straight up telling him the office is bad, kind of. I don't know. There's there's definitely, there are rocks in that water. And I'm worried that they're going to hit some. They almost have to. Definitely. Although, she can only blame herself. She is the one who planted the idea of a cathedral of justice. Mm-hmm. So, she only has herself to blame here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how he turns this shit as a throne thing into it a has a throne it already has a throne it's perfect it does yeah it's not golden yet yet <laughs> what do you think the bathroom in Saul's office looked like I bet it was standard I bet it was normal because his office actually <laughs> was it all well normal I bet he had the constitution printed on the toilet paper <laughs> 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 right right he had to I don't know if he did but I I wish that he did yeah that would be hilarious. <laughs> no, he, pro- he probably like, <laughs> I don't know. He he made it part of his image to idolize the, the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and all that stuff. So he probably had like. I bet he doesn't even have a public bathroom. He doesn't want those people using his bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Go next door to the nail salon or something. Right. Uh, and there's one other little detail in the scene that I liked when, which is a callback when Kim is talking uh, about that and says so she's hungry and Taco Cabeza's down the street. Uh, this is a place where Jesse, back in Breaking Bad when they first meet up with Tuco, says that half of his drug deals have been uh, have taken place in a Taco Cabeza. <laughs> yeah. Appropriate. Well, there you go. It's yeah. a perfect location. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. And then the episode just ends. Mm -hmm. And that means it's time for feedback. And there's a lot of it. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV+, and we'll have a pair of podcasts, quantumly linked, ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into season two. 
Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. I I was thinking after the episode mm-hmm. last week um, about the cold open. Right. And I realized that uh, that piece of glass that's sitting on the ground is actually a piece of glass that Nacho found in the trash can at the chicken farm. Oh, yeah. When Gus, bro- you know, he broke the glass and put, put it in the trash can. Oh, that makes sense. So that was pulled out of there. I'm just shocked that no one, no one wrote in to tell me about this. Nobody, nobody wow. said, hey, you dummy. Nobody said... Actually, in very polite words, nobody wrote in and said, uh, you, you must have missed it. Actually, it was in there, and there's a reason for it. I'm lying. It's incredible. Lying. You guys are slipping. <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even hold totally a Totally lying. Everybody <laughs> wrote in. Every single listener wrote in to let us know. Uh, Thanks for that. I got a, I got some tweets about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course, you're all right. Yeah, um, of course. That makes it, sense it makes logically. Sense. I don't know how I missed this. I missed this like twice watching the episode. Just looking down, making notes, I guess, because it's not oh, like a yeah. super obvious or or long shot. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, I missed it. So thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, Michael B. was the first one to write in, so I'll read his email about it real quick. Longtime listener, I didn't catch this until the second watch, but when Nacho is in the chicken house waiting for his final day, he gets to uh, water to drink and looks down at the trash can and sees his reflection in the broken glass that Gus threw away last episode when he broke it with the water pitcher. That was that reflection that I saw. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It might have been hard to tell what it looked like, too. I didn't. It was really, it was very dark in that scene. Yeah. And I, was, I was like, you taking notes. So Very subtle, but it gives a little more meaning and makes uh, the broken glass make more sense. Yes. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Um, so thank you to everyone who did that. Uh, we also, in last episode, put a call out for some uh, advice on the legal front mm. about like what the ADA is getting at here. If right. her argument for, you know, this. Um, Client, attorney-client privilege being null and void uh, might be valid. And we got a couple of lawyers actually writing in. The, we did put the call to Doug L. He did write in on Jimmy's legal dilemma here. Said, since you asked, I wanted to answer your question about the DA's suggestion that Jimmy breach attorney-client confidentiality and provide information on Lalo. Your instincts are correct, and it was a fairly perplexing offer from an ostensibly smart character on a show that generally gets the legal details right. First, as you said last week, criminals are entitled to legal legal representation. It's enshrined in the Bill of Rights, and it's why public defenders exist. Therefore, any communications between those defendants and their counsel are covered by the attorney-client privilege, with some extremely limited exceptions. The only time a defense attorney could be ethically obligated to breach confidentiality and go to law enforcement is if the attorney has reason to believe the client is about to harm someone else. For example, if a client tells his attorney he's driving off to go kill someone, at that point, the attorney has an ethical obligation to report to the, report the client and not sit back and let that violence happen. However, there has to be specific knowledge that the harm is imminent. Knowing your criminal client is generally likely to commit more crimes upon release because of his character is not enough. There has to be a specific threat. And so, you know, Jimmy didn't know that Lalo planned to commit like any specific or uh, harm to anyone. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of off the hook for any real ethical obligations there. Um, according to Doug L, we do have uh, another lawyer who wrote in and um, 
had some more details to add to that and maybe even a difference of opinion here. And that's what's you know interesting about the law. A, it's super complex. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of different reads on different situations. And B, you can have a difference of opinion based on how you interpret the, the legal standards there. So let's see what uh, C-Bunny has to say. He said, I graduated Harvard Law and currently practicing in New York. However, please note, I practice corporate law. So this is not my speciality, though I have practiced some criminal law. And I did conduct some minimal research tonight to confirm a couple of points. Um, number one, Jimmy's obligation here in regards to Lalo and the prosecution. He says, to your point, Saul's obligation to his client, Lalo. Uh, it's all, he has an obligation to his client, Lalo. And it's also true uh, that the worst in society deserve an attorney. This is crucial for very many reasons I won't enumerate here. Uh, however, Saul is not allowed to help further criminal activity. Uh, this is much different than arguing a guilty client is not guilty, including here, but not limited to bail jumping or misrepresenting his identity in court. In fact, ADA Gina's position is that Jimmy is aware of Lalo's true identity, which of course we know he is, Mm -hmm. and therefore aiding and abetting here in furtherance of crimes committed by Lalo and of him planning to jump bail. He certainly has broken the law and his ethical obligation here, full stop. But ADA Suzanne has an interesting argument here uh, that if the attorney-client privilege was created under false pretenses, which I think is kind of where they were going with, that he is not obligated to maintain such privilege because it never existed. Um, And of course, we know this also isn't the case, right? Because Mm -hmm. he knew exactly who Lala was the whole time. Oh, he knew everything, yeah. Um, And while there isn't likely to be a precise binding case on point or as a general rule there is a major exception to attorney client privilege which is the crime fraud exception an attorney is not bound by and can be subpoenaed to share information about legal assistance provided to a client who seeks legal assistance for the purpose of committing a crime or fraud of course mm-hmm. we know that ada suzanne's Su- suzanne yeah suzanne's theory while creative is incompatible both with the truth and the fact that he dropped Lalo's name to ADA Gina. Yeah. But it is an interesting and creative argument that could, in fact, work as the aforementioned exception. So he seems to think that Jimmy does have uh, some culpability here, which I thought was interesting to get two different takes from two different lawyers. Yeah, that is interesting. Boy, the law. She'd be a tricky mistress, huh? Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, it's why you have to study for years and years. Right. (laughs) And it's not easy to become a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, he also had some information about Kim sharing this prior arrest record mm-hmm. um, as part of discovery, which we talked about a bit. Uh, he says it was it was an extremely frustrating moment for him. Typically, the burden is on the prosecution to share information with the defendant's counsel. While there are certainly limited circumstances where the defendant's counsel must also provide information, which is called reciprocal discovery, a prior arrest record from a different jurisdiction is highly unlikely to be one of them. Um, moreover, I, while I can envision a hypothetical and very unlikely scenario where this was somehow a legitimate question posed by the prosecution that the defense must somehow answer or provide, uh, the underlying fact of the matter is that Kim is breaking several ethical rules by both working against her client's interest and using her client to influence other cases or advance other goals. So Kim's in the wrong, too. Everybody's in the wrong. Oh, Jeez. boy. Uh, yeah, so thank you to Doug L. and C-Money for writing in about those topics. Uh, we got a ton of email this week, so <laughs> I'm trying to like both speed through the stuff that we could read and also apologize to everyone who's 
emails I had to either cut the legs off of <laughs> to get to fit into it or uh, just straight up cut. And I, I appreciate into them. A plastic but, tub here. Yeah, yeah. It's we've only got twelve of them. If you <laughs> if you were the thirteenth, you're gone, <laughs> taking you out to the desert. Uh, Dan writes in and says, in the episode three recap, you asked why the cousins picked up Hector's wheelchair and carried him to Nacho's body. <laughs> yes, please explain. Dan thinks it was done to portray Hector's complete impotence. Hector was betrayed by Nacho when he swapped his medication over to induce the stroke, which left him wheelchair bound. His pride would mean that he had to get some kind of revenge on him, but he had to be carried to the body to do it and looked pathetic. So it was, it was a, according to Dan, an artistic flourish here. Hmm. that you know if he could have been wheeled over there it doesn't look quite as uh pathetic as being carried over there i feel like being carried over there is more dramatic than pathetic i feel like you're sort of flexing your powers there like you mentioned before it's like a litter right yeah i think of like egyptian rulers i think of like uh Persians, I don't know, the, the carrying people around on daises, right? And the way the cousins are so <laughs> monochromatic <laughs> mm-hmm. and similar and very, they move in a mirrored kind of way. It makes it feel even more like that to me personally, but that was just my interpretation. Yeah. I like yours though. Good show. All right. Sean S. Um, sent in a screenshot from previous episode season four episode eight actually and said i thought you'd appreciate that this line from our introduction to lalo proved to be right where you remember if uh the first time we see lalo nacho comes into the taco shop Mm -hmm. and lalo's in the back in the kitchen cooking i think i think eggs i i can't remember exactly what he's cooking it's usually frittata or something i don't know i was gonna say it's usually taco fillings yeah so somebody will will know what that is but when he turns around, he says, uh, you're going to die with the plate held out. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about his, his eggs or his whatever. Right. Because uh, they're so good. But yeah, a little a little prophetic. And also, you won't even know I'm here. Uh, right. Very also prophetic. Totally. All right. Mason wrote in and said, Saul seems to be nowhere near the level of immorality that we find him during Breaking Bad currently Mm -hmm. not sure how they get there in so few episodes if you recall in the very first episode we meet Saul he encourages Walt and Jesse to kill Badger sweet simple innocent Badger relatively Badger (laughs) right (laughs) he's the first but not the last person we see Saul suggesting to send on a trip to Belize he goes on to try and convince Walt to kill both Hank and Jesse Jesse his own client the Saul we know right now isn't even as morally flexible as Kim Feels like it will take something earth-shattering to push him to the place where he's so casually discussing killing people. I mean, that's one of the things that we're waiting for in this final season. We want to see what is that thing that finally makes him essentially give up on humanity. Yeah. And just go for money. What is it? I don't know. I really don't know yet. Is it Kim-related? It's got to be Kim-related. It's got to be Kim-related. It's got to be Kim-related. And she needs to stop wearing blue. She needs to stop wearing blue. She'd make me nervous. (laughs) Make me nervous, Blue girl. Blue is death. Red is danger. It's all... What color can she wear? Yellow? No, she Chicken can't wear yellow, yellow either. Ah. Didn't Jesse used to wear yellow? I mean, yeah. He yeah. had a hoodie or two. Hmm. But Gus wears yellow all the time. He'll That's be around true. for a while. Yeah, maybe maybe chicken color is a safe color. Yeah. Uh, Elliot G. 
says it's interesting that when you watched episode three, there was no trigger warning for suicide before the show. Mm -hmm. I'm in the UK and on Netflix, there was a suicide warning. This was a shame for him as it meant from the start. I guess Nacho would be taking his death into his own hands. Yeah. What's your feeling on that? Like, I providing the warning, which might actually spoil something. I don't know that I would have immediately jumped to Nacho, but that's just me. Um, I mean, what's more important? What's more important here? People's, some people's enjoyment of a show or another, or other people's enjoyment of a show, right? Like maybe some people want to like sort of steal themselves for something that's coming. Yeah. But then, yeah, you have the people who are spoiler paranoid. Yeah, I think this- you can't make everybody happy, right? It, totally, totally. Also, I think- we watched it on Amazon, not Netflix. Maybe that was a could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, if if I'm playing the devil's advocate here mm-hmm. for the spoiler phobes, <laughs> and I'm not like a huge spoiler phobe mm-hmm. in most cases, um, but they would say, well, just wait until the episode is out and read a review to be sure that there is anything in there. But I will say, most reviews don't don't uh warn you of things like this like you're not going to go into a review and without spoiling yourself like knowing exactly what happens then you just won't get these warnings so i feel like yeah putting these on front of shows is better than not doing it but that's just like my opinion man yeah Right, Sean G says, first, I remember hearing a lot of people describe Nacho as the Jesse Pinkman of Better Call Saul, Hmm. as someone who was always compelling, but gradually went from just a criminal to a character we loved and wanted to escape the drug world. I think everyone wanted Nacho and his father to escape to Canada, which is why I think it was so necessary (laughs) that they killed him off so we didn't just repeat Jesse's story of escaping to Alaska. Secondly, I absolutely love the cathartic moment of Nacho revealing to Hector the events around the pill swap. Yeah. I'm really surprised you didn't pick up on how that moment was almost an inverse of the I watched Jane die moment from Ozymandias and Breaking Bad. They're both a main character revealing something horrible they did a long time ago to another character. But this time, we're actually supporting it rather than horrified by it. I thought it was a nice callback. Uh, you're right. You're right. That is that is kind of a, a weird funhouse mirror because the thing here is the character who's saying it we're rooting for more than the character it's being said to, right? Yeah. Like... I watched Jane die is a horrible thing to say to someone who we care for very much. Mm-hmm. The other way around is happening here. I right? like I put you in that chair is exactly what we wanted this character to say to a horrible person. Yes. That we hate. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he got that jab in at the end. Yeah. Die no. mad about it, asshole. <laughs> uh, but I do think there is, yeah, like a funhouse mirror callback there. That's yeah. No, good. Cool. That's a good thing to point out. All right, and now we're up to the episode four emails from this week. Uh, Josh H. H. starts off with uh, RIP to the Kim is Windy theory. Did you, were you <laughs> uh, privy to I, this? As of today, I was aware of this okay. nonsense. All right. Yeah. Go uh, on. For, for people who... <laughs> stupid. <laughs> it was always stupid. I mean, there's no <laughs> chance in hell that Kim ever turns into Wendy. I mean, I, I just couldn't see it, right? Like, the, the actors aren't that far apart. The bone is not even the same. Yeah, like, what? Age. They're both blonde? Right. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and in retrospect, it's obviously stupid, but it was fun while it lasted. Uh, and Josh H. agrees. It was good. <laughs> it, was, it had a good run while it lasted. 
Now that we're down to single digits remaining for Better Call Saul episodes, are either of you ready to start making official predictions about Kim's ultimate fate? Especially now that one perhaps somewhat unlikely possibility is off the board. Uh, I'm really not. I'm really not ready. And we talked about this pretty extensively in that uh, stream I did a couple of weeks ago with Pete Peppers, mm-hmm. um, where it, the, the the guys from One Take had a pretty good uh, idea on what might happen. But man, I'm just not sure. I'm not willing to commit to anything. I don't know if Kim's around in Breaking Bad. I, I feel like there's room for that to be true. But then what drives Jimmy to become full-time Saul? I, yeah, for my part, I think she's dead. I think she's out. It would make a certain amount of sense. And it's going to be a crossfire kind of thing. I don't think it'll be what was meant to happen in that moment, whatever the moment ends up being. And that will make it 10 times more tragic. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be rough. Yeah, no matter what. I, I don't know that I buy her just being on the sidelines the whole time through all of Breaking Bad. That seems... It would feel pretty dissatisfying, I think. Yeah, Like to lame. see Saul come back and interact with Walt and Jesse so much, interact with Huel, interact mm-hmm. with all these people we know from Better Call Saul um, or, you know, the beyond that we get to know through Breaking Bad, but never see Kim even once. Yeah. Never even mention Kim, right? Like, that's the other thing. It's... I feel like they will do something with this phone call though, right? Because there's the phone call that Jimmy, as he's packing up to go to Nebraska um, right. to, to flee the country or and the state. At the end of Breaking Bad, yeah. At the end of Breaking Bad. that He tells Francesca to be there to take a call at a very specific time. Mm-hmm. Who could that possibly be from other than Kim? That's a good question. But I... Do you think I that's going to be their it's very be super tenuous connection for the rest of the time, though? Right? Yeah, because you're you're fridging her. Yeah, essentially. Completely. Not even essentially, you are. You're literally fridging her, kind of yeah. like we're we've been fridging Lalo. Yeah, for three episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, we do have, did have some uh, email come in about that uh, hmm. with possible theories, but. Uh, let's let's get to this. So Norm says, "Hey all, wow." Kim meets Mike. Kim meets Mike. It was kind of underwhelming, but still awesome. I'm glad we had this week's set piece episode after last week's Nacho Demise episode, but like the smell of Jimmy's new office, the smell of Lalo permeates this whole episode. And I think the smell of the end of Kim. The legal improprieties don't catch Jimmy. They catch up to Kim. She gets ensnared in this in his mess, and he lets her hang. She pays the price for his sins, uh and transgressions what what do you think interesting any chance that like all this scheming comes back on her and jimmy just lets it happen it doesn't feel like the right direction to me personally based on it, it, what would be the thing right what right. would why would jimmy do that there'd have to be some circumstance that would make him hang Kimmy out Kimmy hang Kim out to dry <laughs> she I feel like she would have had to have betrayed him first in some way maybe a betrayal combined with his life being threatened somehow maybe. I could see that happening yeah um, once Lalo's back in the picture I do think though that uh, treating Kim as sort of the innocent party is not 
<laughs> it doesn't fly with me anymore. <laughs> it shouldn't have flown yeah. with me last season either because she was already starting to slip. But she she was kind of the the paragon for through a lot of this. But she isn't that person anymore. No, no. she's becoming a different person, and I think that her ending, whatever that ends up being, is going to reflect that more so than her being an innocent caught up in or like the fall guy or something. I think she's going to yeah. bring it on herself, whatever it ends up being. I I guess I do think it's more likely that she ends up surviving this series. Um, hmm. Than like Lalo surviving because that's the other thing, right? Like Lalo, Lalo does too much. He's a rabid dog. He's gonna have to be put down. Otherwise, he would absolutely, he would absolutely affect Breaking Bad. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. you can't, you can't just fridge him. Um, and that's the if same. If you could fridge Kim, he's like ten times that. You just can't fridge him. Yeah. Well, that's the same. The that's the same feeling that I have about Kim. And fridging her, like mm-hmm. I feel like you can't really do that either with her actions this season and the end of last season. Yeah. She's too in control I, and, of her own shit. And I it think. would feel super unsatisfying if Lalo yeah. was just alive at the end of the series and we never, like, the next time we hear about him is the last time. Yeah. And you never see him again, nothing. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe they can make a uh, sort of finality to the story that doesn't involve death, but it feels like yeah. he's got to die. I think so. I think he just has too much agency. It's not believable that he would just like put his tail between his legs and crawl back to Mexico. Like, no, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe Kim goes to prison. Doesn't go with his character. Yeah, maybe, maybe Kim's Jimmy in tries prison. to help her but can't. Yeah, and Kim gets caught up in their shenanigans. And now that gets- yeah, that's an interesting angle. I yeah, dead or prison. Because then, you know, that phone call could be like, I don't know, a weekly call they do from prison or something or like uh, her getting out of prison, right? Like it's mm-hmm. he was supposed to go pick her up, but he's going to get a call and he's not going to be there. So he needs someone to tell her that. Who knows? But yeah, I, I don't see Kim dying, but I also mm-hmm. something has to change in that relationship because I can't see her just being there in the background and never being mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem right. All right, Doug L., again, uh, writes in for episode 604. It didn't feature any particularly meaty legal issues, but if there's something specific we have questions about, he's always happy to answer them. One thing I will note is the plan to embarrass Howard to force the Sandpiper settlement seems suspect to me. It seems like the plan is to make Cliff doubt Howard's fitness, and that will make him want to simply be done with the case. The flaw in that argument is that we've seen how big HHM is. If Cliff really had no confidence in Howard, one solution would be to force HHM to have the case handled by a different attorney there. If that happened, all of Kim and Saul's work will have been funny and perhaps satisfying in terms of taking Howard down a peg, but it may not achieve the required result. And of course, for any settlement to happen, the client has to sign off on it as well. Frankly, this seems like taking on a lot of risk to force a settlement that will likely occur relatively soon anyway, with a matter of, uh, within a matter of a few years at most likely less. I hope that, as usually happens, the writers are a few steps ahead of us on what the plan is actually about. Anyway, those are my only thoughts for now. All the best. Uh, yeah, I didn't really think about that, right? Because they have used the size of HHM mm-hmm. and the the various number of attorneys that they have, uh, or various attorneys they have at their disposal as a plot point before. Yeah, that's true. 
That is a good point. To Why would muscle, they? you know, Jim, Jimmy off the Kettleman mm-hmm. case, for instance, right? Right. Or the Sandpiper thing early on. Yeah. Why would they not just pivot to somebody else? That. And I could see if they wanted point. to make that a point and have like maybe Howard's pride or something get in the way, but hmm. it doesn't really feel like Howard anymore. He doesn't seem yeah. like too proud of a guy. He seems more like he's regulated that. But I don't know. It's interesting. I want to see. I want to see these characters break. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I Me don't, too. but I do. Yeah. I want to see Howard driven mad, driven just fully insane. That's another character that we don't hear anything about at all in Breaking Bad, right? Howard, yeah, not at all. I don't know why we would, but also we don't. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm with you. I do hope there are a couple of steps ahead of us here. Yeah. Uh, Maria from upstate New York says, I had a question and thoughts about Jimmy and Kim's whole scam on Howie Ham. I know I know his actual name, but I like this nickname. I'm not sure if I just didn't catch it, but wasn't he at a meeting or something when Jimmy pulled that uh, scam? So if Ed Bigley Jr.'s character confronts him, wouldn't he have pretty good proof that he didn't do what Jimmy tried to make it appear he did? Uh, this is what you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with him being in the uh, therapy session, probably having a pretty good alibi. Right. Not even being in that. But it's hard. It's really hard to refute your own vanity plate on your own car. Yeah. With a silhouette that looks exactly like you. I mean, you can say that, but you're going to have to go to great lengths to prove it, right? You're going to need to yeah. take Cliff, who doesn't even live in the city, right. take Cliff to your therapist or have <laughs> your therapist call him personally, assure him that you were there and yeah believe that he is who he says he is and like, that he's not just been paid to give this alibi exactly. because anybody yeah and that that's jimmy's thing that's he's that's th- conning that's confidence everywhere. exactly that's what he does is he throws doubt onto everything and then people's own shit is what ends up bringing them down so yeah yeah man I don't know. We'll how see about if that it, we'll see how it plays out um also why don't you think kim told jimmy about lalo because Jimmy's weak. <laughs> He's yeah. a weak little baby. He can't handle such information. I think you're right. I think she she heard Mike say that and she was like, oh, no, actually, you're totally correct. Yeah, no, you He's called it. He's not. Especially this season. He is way shakier than we have seen him. And be. we've seen Kim notice it too, right? We have, That's the thing. Yeah. She's pushing him into the things that he normally would volunteer to do or mm. would be his ideas. Right. And she can see him squirming about it, but still going yep. along with it. Again, mutual support. All right. Reginald says, in Breaking Bad, Gus was usually so composed and calculating. He was manipulative. Gus could be charming or intimidating. He was extremely powerful, but still ambitious. Gus was a force of nature. But Gus has been unraveling in the last two episodes of Better Call Saul. In Hit and Run, we see that his monstrous paranoia has come to dominate his entire organization He's no longer the all-powerful boogeyman. He has flaws and makes mistakes and is sometimes scared himself. But I like it. Seeing a more rounded view of a character always makes them more interesting. That is definitely the case with Gus Fring. Uh, How do you feel about that? I agree. I totally agree. It humanizes him a little bit more, which just gives us something more interesting to chew on with his character than just constant, I am Gus. I'm very serious. Yeah. And I feel like the thing we haven't lost with Gus is the sense of outward composure, yeah. right? That front. I, Absolutely. And that's what you see in Breaking Bad until Walt starts to, you know, ice pick away at that thing. Um, 
you just see constant composure. So I don't think they've really done any damage to Gus Mm-mm. in this series. I don't think like you could point to Breaking Bad and say, well, now it's not consistent with his character because his character in Breaking Bad is a facade. Yeah. And it, just like it is in Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. That, that stoicism, that... And the toughness, yeah. Yeah, that's all... That everything is under control here. It's all put on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Reginald also has some comparisons to this being May the 4th, the oh, day we're recording this, mm-hmm. has some comparisons to Star Wars. After revealing that he is the father, Darth Vader told Luke Skywalker that by teaming up, they could rule the galaxy. Nacho had potential, Mike is skillful, and Gus is highly intelligent. So, what do you think about this? If Nacho, the Skywalker, had originally joined Gus, the Vader, instead of the Salamancas, could they have been an unbeatable team? Along with Mike, the Han Solo? <laughs> the Han Solo, you say. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Maybe. he's He was solo to start with. They I could mean, have easily taken out Lalo, the Salamancas, and Don Eladio, Don Eladio, the Emperor. Does that make sense? So the only reason why Nacho ever really wanted out of the drug stuff in the first place, I, I think, was because... The Salamancas were just like constantly threatening his dad, basically, indirectly. I think you're right. Trying to pull him into it. And Gus is not above fucking with family members. So I don't know that it would have ended all that differently. He may have ended up... Gus may have put himself in the same position as Hector. Well, I mean, the reason Hector wanted... wanted, Like, even started thinking about Nacho's dad is because he lost his autonomy in this drug uh, smuggling operation, right? Like he, mm-hmm. uh, Mike came in blew up his, uh, the, the whole uh, operation he had with the ice cream trucks. Right. And so he wasn't able to get his product in. He was mm-hmm. losing money. He was losing the faith of Eladio. Yeah. And so he needed a new source, a new way to get stuff into the country. And that's why he started. And so he went after Nacho's dad. With the Vargas, yeah. I don't think Gus ever would have done that because Gus has the chicken operation. Right. Gus has no need to go after family. And so if Gus, you know, and so if Nacho is yeah. working with him, he becomes the victor. He becomes the, I guess uh, that's fair. whoever in Gus's operation. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it would have worked out a hell of a lot better for Nacho. I don't know that he'd be out and I don't know that they would like rule the galaxy together, <laughs> but like, Definitely, he would have been safer in the parts of the operation he participated in. Yeah, I I think you're probably right about that. Just overall, he would still be he'd be doing the same shit, but maybe he wouldn't have to rip the gauges out of people's ears or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe he would. I don't know. Difficult to say. And finally, Paul says, "Greetings from Germany. Love your podcast and Better hey, Call Saul, obviously." and had a thought about the whole watching Better Call Saul before Breaking Bad discussion that you had in the episode three podcast. Without knowing the Saul from Breaking Bad, does the opening scene of episode one, not of this season, but of Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. of all of it, mm-hmm. make any sense? I guess you could ask the question for every Gene scene, but I feel like you don't really get or could enjoy this scene as someone who knows everything about the Saul from Breaking Bad. I'd like to know what you think about it. I mean, that is the scene where we see him in a Cinnabon, right? Just making making the And looking real sad. Cinnabons. Yeah. yeah. No, I it probably doesn't make a lot of sense in context. I, I think it makes more sense when you see the actor um 
in the second scene. Yeah. Or, or right. whenever Jimmy shows up for the first when time. You see I think him looking younger than Spryer. Right. I I assume like you could pick up on that. They're like, oh, this is an older version of him. Mm-hmm. And so they're just kind of like telling you where this all leads. Maybe. It's it's certainly not as obvious as, as if you've seen Breaking Bad. Yeah, I don't think you would understand the greater context, but I think you're right. I mean, anybody can look at a balding character in black and white and then the same character with hair <laughs> in color and be like, oh, okay, that must be the future. Like, it's yeah. not that hard to figure out. Then what do you make of Howard face? If the hair makes the man... <laughs> What timeline is Howard <laughs> face on? Uh, it's it's uh, it's a multiverse situation. Okay. Yeah, it's All a right. multiverse situation. So parallel timelines. It's just yeah. This is like Twilight Zone. This is what you could have been. In the scary door. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for the episode. For our feedback for Thanks this for week's out with us. coverage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's been fun we'll be back next week of course if you'd like to send in more emails preferably not about the piece of glass <laughs> we got that out of the way no no more tweets about we it we got it we got it <laughs> I did seriously get like 35 <laughs> emails about that uh, you can do so at bcs at baldmove.com uh, send your emails um, we will be back of course on Wednesday evening next week to talk about the third to last episode in this chunk mm. I'm trying to think is it five six seven left i th- i think so yeah yeah that sounds right um and i guess that's it that's we'll see it. you then until then. then i'm jim i'm alexis <laughs>